Welcome back to Tell Me About It with Jade Iovine. I am Jade Iovine, and Tell Me About It is the show where I force my guests to commiserate about our anxieties, our insecurities, mistakes, rejections, heartbreaks, and the many, many bloopers of our very imperfect lives. I'm so happy you're here to hang with me, and quite frankly, I am so damn happy to be alive after this weekend. Not only did I finish my move this weekend, two of my best friends from college were in town, And whenever they come to town, it's like the one time a year I go out. And it was also one of my best friend's birthdays. So we went out. I mean, this is just a PSA to everyone in my life. If you're listening, please don't ask me to go anywhere. Like, I'm either zero or 100. Like, I never go out. I never drink. So, like, I'm like a college kid when I go out and drink. Because, like, I truly don't know how to, like, handle my alcohol at all. And I get, like, so overexcited. And it's just a disaster. I got so drunk on Friday that I, like threw up. I haven't thrown up in like so long from drinking. I threw up. I was like laying on like on my front porch. Thank God we installed the ring the same day because I have crazy footage of me full on sleeping on my front porch. It was so bad. Okay. And not only was obviously that so bad and I threw up and it was just a disaster, but the hangover, like I truly saw Christ. Like I was just a shell of myself. Like I have not been that hungover in years. I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't even like move to the fridge to get a water. It was such a fucking disaster. Anyway, so just like, don't ask me to go out anymore. I just can't do it. I can't hang. I was like twerking at a bar. Like it's just, I'm horrified. The whole thing was just horrific. But you know what's not horrific is today's episode. So let's dive right into that. You love my segue there? I tried really hard. So today I have an episode with Sam Aberhart. Sam is my new best friend. Um, we talked a lot about anxiety and depression and, you know, the weight that you carry when you have to navigate mental health challenges. We commiserated about all the times that we couldn't get out of bed or brush our hair for weeks on end, how our mental illness can be our worst enemy and our greatest asset, why you can and should be a CEO with depression, even when you think it's impossible, We talked about shame and guilt, inner child work, and how to accept and own the identity struggle that can come with a mental illness diagnosis. But first, let me tell you a little about my new friend, Sam. Sam Aberhart is the CEO and founder of the Mayfair Group. The company was founded in 2017 after Sam spent years struggling with depression and anxiety. She sought to create a more meaningful life through uplifting content and building a digital safe space. Mayfair is now focused on building out a global lifestyle brand in hopes of continuing to inspire connectivity, something we all need much more of. Mayfair Group has gained a big celebrity following, being worn by the likes of Justin Bieber, Jennifer Lopez, Bella Hadid, Dwight Howard, Camila Cabello, and much, much more. Sam has been featured in Forbes and Glossy Magazine and was recently named one of Forbes' next thousand entrepreneurs. This is truly one of my favorite episodes yet, and I hope our conversation resonates with you and makes you just feel less alone like it did for me. Here is Sam Aberhart. Hi, Sam. Welcome on the show. Hi, Jade. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm like, we have a shit ton to talk about. So much. So let's start. You are a hard person to track. 
Like, I'm like, where, where do you live right now? We're, uh, we're actually based in Arizona, okay. the Mayfair Group. So I used to live in LA. I was born in London. I'm sure we're going to get into all of that. But right now we're headquartered in Arizona. So we work out of our main office here. When did you move to Arizona? It was about six years ago. And it was really just because my husband got, he played soccer and we had gotten married. I was living in LA at the time. He was traveling and playing soccer and we got married and we're like, well, we should probably live in the same state as married people do. That sounds like a good idea. (laughs) So we decided, um, he signed a contract here and I moved here basically. And that's where it all began was just from that transition. Yeah. So how long ago did you start Mayfair group? Not, was that five or six years ago? Yeah, it was about five. I think we're at like four and a half years now. So it was like almost five years ago when we started it. So So for those people that live under a rock, what is Mayfair Group? (laughs) So Mayfair is essentially, the Mayfair Group is a, it started as a all-inclusive creative agency. I worked in the industry for a long time and I just saw that like a lot of times people outsource you know, different services to social media agencies or sales agencies and PR agencies. And for me, I wanted to kind of create a company that incorporated all of those services under one roof and really optimize like brand strategy in-house by working with it all in one house. But at the time, I also had been navigating mental health challenges. I struggle with anxiety and depression, which I know we're going to talk ooh, ooh. about. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to that. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to us depressed queens. Right. And so I basically had been navigating that and um, in 2016 went through a really bad depression. And I just noticed that there was no place on the internet that felt like a safe space or a community And so coupled with this idea that I had for this all-inclusive agency, I wanted to create an identity around Mayfair that was a safe place on the big bad internet. So a place where people could come to for inspiring narrative and purposeful content and campaigns and all these things. And I think I just never really realized that so many people were searching for that in their life too. I thought it was just me that (laughs) wanted to put some motivational words up on social media so I didn't have to look at everyone on their yachts and their bikinis like living their best lives and Uh I just (laughs) I didn't know that so many people were like searching for that as well so that's kind of how it all started yeah I feel like you're like the first brave person to actually give the people what they want out of Instagram (laughs) like it's the only account that actually like doesn't disturb you like to your core you know what I mean like the rest of Instagram is so sharp and aggressive and your account is so I mean the Mayfair group is so is like a safe haven you know Mm. that's how we wanted it to feel and it was just more so from not seeing that and being like I personally need this so I think it was more so just a creative outlet for me to put things on the internet that felt like safe for me that I could reference and be inspired by and pull inspiration from and again, it just started kind of growing. 2017 was when we started January. And it was after that year of a really bad depression that I was just like, I need to create something with purpose. So I love doing the branded stuff. I love working with brands, but I want to couple that with an identity and a, building a community and kind of create this idea of this world, Mayfair world, where people can come to for purposeful content and inspiring narrative. So I love that where it started. (laughs) It's an amazing company. I'm, am I so twisted that I'm like actually like genuinely excited to like talk to you about depression and anxiety? Like how demented is that? Because I feel like we have such parallel stories in so many ways. And I want to find out how you got from fashion to the Mayfair group, but let's Mm -hmm. start at the beginning of your twenties. So you're just fresh out of your twenties, right? 
30. 30. Yeah, you just turned 30, right? Mm-hmm. You made yep. it. God bless you. You're so lucky. <laughs> so what were the beginning of your 20s like? Can you paint me a picture of like where you were in your life mentally, physically, all of that? Oh my God. Like they let's were, say 21. It was just such a hard, messy, like questionable decade for me. I, But also the most transformative, yes. you know? I think that sometimes... I talked to people a lot of times about how the hardest moments in our life are the most transformative. And during that time, we don't see them that way. But those moments are usually the ones that have the biggest impact on our overall life. So my 20s were rough. I mean, I feel like it just was consumed with worrying about what other people think, building a career, running as fast as I could, masking everything that I was dealing with, pretending like I wasn't dealing with it because I was still in denial about the idea of depression. And I didn't even say the D word because that's how much it like freaked me out that I thought about it. And I think I was just chasing anything else rather than dealing what I was personally navigating. And I just wasn't in a place where I wanted to deal with those emotions. So, you know, I went to college, I ended up dropping out of college. Um, I was really unhappy. It was the first time I had experienced depression. And from there, I just started to understand like, this is a part of me, you know, like I, it's not normal to feel this down, um, and be stuck in bed for days at a time and cry frequently and just experience these really, really deep emotions of sadness. And even coupled with anxiety too, I just, I think that I was just trying to run away from all those feelings, to be honest. That's like the best way I can really describe my twenties And especially early 20s, I think later 20s, when I started going to therapy and really developing a toolbox and understanding and really like embracing the things um, that I was navigating, my emotions, my feelings, starting to do a lot of like soul searching and and kind of a deep dive. But I would say early 20s was just masking and running and worrying about what other people thought of me. Yeah. Like I was convinced in my early 20s too that I could outrun depression and anxiety. Like I was just like, I, and I did not accept it at all as part of my identity. And I just did engaged in all behaviors that would make me forget about that, like that this was something that I couldn't outrun, you know? So I think, I mean, I'm so excited to talk to you about, you know, how you ultimately got to the place where you not only made it part of your identity, but made it part of your professional identity. Mm -hmm. Cause it can be such a hard puzzle piece to fit into your life, you know, especially when you're 21 and all you want to worry about is like hooking up and just work. And, you know, you're like, oh, yeah. everyone else gets to just focus on their jobs. Like I have all this other shit in my brain. Yeah. But so, okay. Take me from 21, 22, 23. Were you working in fashion? I dropped out of school. I think I was around 20 or 21. And that was so hard because, you know, I'm so grateful that my parents were able to send me to school. And I think the hardest part sometimes about depression and mental health is there's so much guilt you know, I had such a great life and I'm very privileged in that sense. You know, my parents really worked their asses off to give me like a decent life. And I felt so much guilt around dropping out of school. Like I felt so much guilt around even having these feelings when I felt like I had, you know, and and the, the hardest thing is like, people will be like, look at your life. It's great. Like put it in perspective, you know? And it's just like, people are doing worse. That's the worst thing you can say to somebody. I'm like, is just put your life in perspective. That and take a walk. Why don't you try try exercising? Why don't you try taking? Or calm down. I love calm down. Just calm down. 
I'm like, if I fucking knew how to calm down, I wouldn't be dealing with this, you know? True. But I just think it's so important to listen and validate people and their emotions because I think we're in this culture obsessed with just like, yeah, masking and running and not confronting. And so, you know, basically I dropped out of school and for the longest time I like didn't want to tell my parents I was unhappy, but it got to the point where I just was in bed for days. I was crying every day. And so they were really supportive. And again, I know I'm so privileged that I was even able to do that. And I just took a little bit of time to realign, reassess, you know, kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And then I started interning and working in the fashion industry, went back to school, finished school at like a smaller school in Georgia. Good for you, man. That's like a lot of people don't go back. Yeah. And school is school. I was just talking to my brother about this and like he has every learning disability. I struggle with a little bit of some too. And it's just school is such a specific type of learning. And if you're not the type of person that learns well in those environments, like it's so straining on people. So yeah, I mean, school is just school. So I mean, I finished because, you know, I was already kind of halfway through and I was like, I'll just finish out at a small school, get my degree. But I knew that I wanted to be in fashion and in business. Those were the things that really got me excited. And that's what like I was passionate about. So I started interning in LA and just worked my way up from interning in a company to eventually heading up all of their West Coast sales. Wow. And Where did you live in LA? I lived in West Hollywood. Oh, I live in West Hollywood. Oh, we were probably, I don't know yeah. how long you've been there. For like four or five years. Okay. I might have left right before you got there. Okay, then. we'll compare addresses. Yeah, anyway. we will. Okay, sorry. So you were working for a fashion company in LA. In LA, I, I, you know, I loved it, and I just, I feel like you get to these points where you're just like, I want more, mm-hmm. and I feel like there's something bigger for me, and you know, I think to anyone listening, like, never compromise on your life path, like, never settle. I feel like there's sometimes a path that you don't even know exists that can be created for yourself. And I love that this generation is embracing that. It's like this entrepreneur mentality of like, I'm going to create my own destiny. And I feel like that was always in my cards. It was just like, that's kind of the way I thought. And so I worked for a couple different brands and then bring come full circle to basically 2016. My husband and I moved to Arizona and I just left all of my stability. And I think everything that I had been running for him and working towards like literally came crashing down because I just got to the point where everything caught up. All the feelings, all the masking, everything I'd been running from, it was like, it just hit me so hard. And I think what's tough is when you have depression and you are going through a transformative moment or like a hard moment in your life, those feelings are so heightened. It's like, you know, oh, like I feel bad because I'm literally smirking as you're like telling this story, but it's because like I relate so wholeheartedly. So I felt my first, I mean, I'd never struggled with depression or knowingly, I wasn't conscious of it until I was 21 and I fell to the ground. Like I just was like, couldn't cope, but like still managed to like, because I didn't really know that I was depressed, no one diagnosed it. I was just kind of I could I was able to keep running because I was just like okay I guess this is how everyone feels this shitty and this was my time because I'm I guess I'm becoming an adult now maybe adulthood just feels this terrible yeah and I just ran and I you know I I was working in LA like I moved back home I barely finished college I was a zombie yeah. like I was not I was a shell of myself because I'd also started with panic attacks so which I and I'd never struggled with either before so it was crazy. And then I started working for this company and I just gave my heart and soul, but like a little 
too much. You know, I just was like going nonstop, like working nonstop because that's all I could – like you said, I was just trying to outrun it. And then the other shoe dropped, you know, and Mm -hmm. I just – fell into like when I was 23 I had to quit the job I had to just tell them like I have to leave because I'm so depressed I can't stand (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I just took to bed and I took Mm -hmm. a year off my life and I think like that year that's why I want to ask you about when you took that year off because watching from the sidelines from bed is a feeling that very few know Mm-hmm. And like without it really being able to articulate why you're there in the first place and the shame and the isolation that you feel is so immense mm-hmm. that like, you know, I went through it at 23. I can only imagine how much harder it must have been at 20. You know, every year mm-hmm. I feel like it would have been just harder. So can you kind of tell me like how did that manifest itself for you? Like with your friendships, were you able to maintain them? Were you Did you just feel like I'm alone? It was so hard. So 2016, I basically moved and got had gotten married. And that's the hardest part is just like from the outside, I had a great life. And I think, again, the shame and the guilt that you feel with mental health, it's like, and the way that society heightens that, you know, the way that people downplay how you should feel and all these things, it's like, it's not helpful at all. If anything, it's hurtful. And I think that's why I was so for the for the longest time just couldn't even come to terms with that as a part of my life because I just felt there's no way, you know, I have such a good life. Like, and I think what's hard about depression is when you start to grapple with the idea that this is a part of you, it becomes all consuming. Like you feel like this is your identity and this is all you are to the world. You're just a depressed, isolated, crazy, sad person that just can't get out of bed And I know you know that feeling too, but it's just so hard to explain unless you've actually felt those feelings yourself. And so, yeah, I mean, I just, I remember even that year I was, I would cry all the time. I would think the most awful thoughts and it was just a really hard year. And I probably didn't open up to a lot of people about it, but anytime that anyone gave me a small window of vulnerability. I just remember that was the only thing that made me feel comfortable was like, I would talk to somebody and they're like, Oh yeah, I was having anxiety. I'm like, anxiety. Like you have anxiety. Like I know. you're like, Oh my God, somebody else feels like yes. I do. And they're like, they're like, yeah, like I struggle with it. Like I can't sleep. And I'm like, Oh my God, me too. Like, I think it's just because you feel so isolated and crazy in your thoughts. It's like, having those vulnerable moments and knowing that like, this is not you. This is just a part of who you are. It's not your identity. And the more that you start to open up and come to terms and do the work, obviously the work is a huge part of it too, but you start to understand that this is just a part of my life, but it isn't me. I think I went through the same thing where like, there's three phases, you know, there's running from it, then there's finally accepting it as part of your identity. And then there's realizing that it's not your entire identity. which is a whole other battle, you know? So did you, even when I ask myself this question, quite frankly, I'm like, how did I get out of bed? Like, how did you, when you were the first time around, when you were like 20, when did the fog lift? What did it take for the fog to lift or did it not? Did you just power through? I think I just powered through, honestly, at 20. Again, I wasn't in the place. I remember doing therapy and I just was like, this is not for me. Mm. Like I, but I wasn't mentally in the place where I was even ready to deal with that component of my life. I just was wanting to mask it with everything I possibly could dating people, going out, pretending I was an extrovert, 
you know, like working my ass off all these things. I just was like, I'm an extrovert is amazing. I know. I literally (laughs) to this day laugh so hard to myself because I would go out with friends just so I didn't have to be alone with my own thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people do that. Yeah. And I just remember like, I laugh about it with my best friend here because even in 2016, when I was Carl, my husband would go out of town and I would be like, every weekend I'd be like, do you want to come sleep over? And we were like 26 years old or 25 yeah. years old. And I would have adult sleepovers with my best friend just because I was like, I needed somebody to be in my home with me because I was worried about what I would do if somebody wasn't there. And that's like a really dark, sad thought, but that's like the extent of how much you're masking and trying to like cope. You're in fight or flight mode. Yeah. Know? It's like your arm is hanging off, but no one knows, you know? So you're just yeah. trying to like do anything to cope and then you can't outrun it like you said so when did you actually I know you were talking about dating a little earlier when did you meet your husband I met my husband when I was um in college at the very end of my college career so I met my boyfriend in college too you did oh my gosh yes yes and I totally was the person that was like I will never get married early I know we're such losers we're such losers but I I just I dated enough people to know like he was everything for me and like was the stability in my life that I needed. And he's just like my home, you know? And I think to this day, so we met when I was 22, he played soccer. Um, we had that in common. And so I met him through mutual friends and stuff. And then we got married when I was 24. So we got married two years after we met and yeah. And then that's kind of like when, you know, everything started was like, we'd lived long distance. And then after that, we moved to Arizona when I was 25. And that's kind of when everything started happening. Right. So did you drop out before you met him? Yeah. So I dropped out when I was uh, the first school that I went to was South Carolina. I was on a soccer scholarship and I dropped out. Um, And that was, again, just that transition, I think, to my whole identity leading up to college had been through a sport that I played. And we always do that. We like tie our identity to things and milestones. And so I got to college and I just was like, I hate this. I don't like this sport anymore. And so- But I'm supposed to. (laughs) I'm supposed to. This is what I've been known for. And so all those feelings, and I think that's, you know, again, these transitional moments and there's so much pressure on people, you know, in these phases of our life to go to school, to do this. It's like these abstract timelines that society puts on us. And we put ourselves under so much pressure to like meet those standards, even though they're, absolutely, you know- so I think that that was just also hard is just coming term to terms with like, this is no longer me. I don't, I'm not passionate about this. I want to pursue something else. And that's kind of when my love for fashion and kind of business started. So tell me about the transition between fashion and then the Mayfair group. Did you, did you quit your job at fashion and then take a break and then start? What was that decision process like? It wasn't messy at all. I just, in 2016, when we had moved to Arizona, I was working from home and I think that that also, you know, for another brand. And I think that also really played into my depression. I would not leave the house. You're isolated. I I would stay in the house and it was like a really dangerous place to be because I didn't have any friends in Arizona. I just moved there for my husband. I was working from home. I literally didn't leave the house, you know, and this is like pre-pandemic. So everybody- So we weren't used to not leaving the house then. (laughs) Nobody worked from home really, you know, so- I, at night, I just had really bad sleep anxiety and that's something I've always struggled with. And I would stay up and work on my business plan. Like it almost started channeling this anxious energy into creative energy. Wow. And I kind of just changed my mindset from like, okay, I'm really anxious. I'm really anxious to like, 
at nighttime, I'm going to get to work on Mayfair. Even if I stay up till three or four in the morning, I'm going to stay up and work on this concept, this place, this idea, this community that I have that I want to build. And so I started channeling my nervous and anxious energy into creating, and that's how the company started. Wow. So you were this was kind of like a side hustle before you quit. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then what, what? how old were you when you started it? I was probably 25, 6 maybe when I started it. And it was just like a hobby, you know, it was kind of just like in my guest bedroom, it was self funded, I decided to quit my job. And I had like maybe a thousand $2,000 to my to my name at that point. Okay, tell me more about that. (laughs) I was not a saver. And you know, I just had been making really decent money in the industry. But I just knew I have to chase what I'm passionate about. And especially after navigating that year, I just was like, listen to myself, I will never pursue a job for money. I always want to be driven by message and narrative and things that give me purpose in life because that's what makes me happy, you know? And anytime I've chased something for money, I'm miserable, you know? So, but at the same time, I knew I had to be able to pay my bills. So I had started this, you know, company, but I had, because of working in the industry, for seven, eight years, I developed all these relationships. So I knew I would have a couple brands and they committed. They said, if you go out on your own, we'll sign with you. One of them was Wildflower Cases and I still work with them today. They're still a client of ours, but it was just those few brands that believed in me and said, we'll sign the contract, go out on your own. And that gave me, that gave me the means to be able to quit and start full-time in like my guest bedroom. So, I mean, cause so many people, especially in LA, you know, there's so much nepotism and there's so much, you know, you think that you can't start a company unless you have, you know, however much money. And I think like starting it from just having a thousand or two thousand dollars in your account and then what you've built from that is mm-hmm. remarkable. Like that's a really fucking rad thing. Thank and I know you. like you talk a lot about, you know, doing it for your younger self, you know, mm-hmm. so and that's a big motivator for me. Like I think of the girl that was sitting in bed, had to just quit her job, the humiliation and shame and what like just I felt like a piece of shit. You know what I mean? I and I yeah. and I would tell myself I was one. You know, it just was so dark. And yeah. I think everything in my life since that time is a direct is is for her. Do you feel that way? Yeah. I mean, that's so powerful. I think our whole lives were like trying to reconnect with our inner selves. Yeah. Like I genuinely feel like that's like the human experience is like connecting with other people and connecting with like our most vulnerable selves. And I think of my young self too, like you, and it's like, she was fearless. She, she wasn't scarred by all these things that we navigate and we build walls and we mask and we deal and we fake and we like, and so I think my whole purpose and what I'm trying to do in life, like you is just get back to that girl, yeah. you know, like, she was so fearless. And talk to other girls that are like us that needed stuff like we're creating, you know? Yeah, 100%. So, you know, with depression and anxiety, we are still not exempt from things that hurt our confidence or embarrassing moments or, you know, mm-hmm. shame spirals and all of that. What is something that still gets to you confidence-wise? And like, how do you combat that? I think what frustrates me and what is hard is... I think just the stigma that's still associated with mental health. Totally. People get shamed for being vulnerable on the internet. People get shamed for sharing their story. 
because maybe, you know, no two stories are alike. And I think there's so much guilt and there's so much, you know, I, I did a recently did a video for Mental Health Month where I shared on Mayfair's Instagram and my Instagram, like my full mental health journey. And it was the first time besides therapy that I've ever opened up about that. It was incredible. I've, I'm Thank like, you. I have still to do that. So I think that it was so beautiful the way that you did that. Thank you so much. Yeah. And, it, and there was so much thought and feeling and fear that went into that because one, I know not every story ends like this. People lose siblings, they lose yes. friends, you know? And so I felt like I didn't want to speak for anyone. You know, I think there's just, but at the end of the day, I just wanted to take back the power of my truth. And hopefully if there was somebody like younger me listening, she would have wanted to hear that she's not alone, you know? And there's just, that's the reason I did it. I just wanted to potentially help one person. But I think what makes me insecure and what I still struggle with is just the stigma because I think there's so much fear in sharing our most vulnerable selves, but that's also what drives and motivates me every day. Like I'm trying to be the most vulnerable and most authentic version of me. Right. Because like freedom and connection are on the other side of that. Yes. The less vulnerable you are in life, like the less you get out of it, kind Mm -hmm. of. So I, you know, something that's interesting to me is there might be people that are struggling that are really in like a serious bout of depression or that are really, you know, in that time where you just can't get out of bed and they might be rolling their eyes being like, their depression must not be as bad as mine, you know, because they can, you know, start a company like Mayfair. What do you say to people like that? Well, first, like no two journeys are like, I think what's tough too is like, I know we work with two foundational partners that we have mental health coalition and active minds. And I, we work with them pretty closely with Mayfair content that we put out because I want to make sure we're speaking in the right way, you know? And I think what's tough when you're speaking on such a heavy subject like that specifically, but you know, there's so many illnesses that aren't even spoken about bipolar disorder. Like there's ones that are like way larger, heavier, more of a burden for people to, to, to carry, you know, it's like so much harder to navigate. So, you know, a lot of times medication is the answer. Like a lot people need to be medicated for these, um, illnesses as well as, you know, therapy, if it's an option, if, if it's an option for you, I think it's a really great resource and there's some really great, you know, free and more affordable resources for therapy too. But again, I think that there's just so much shame and stigma around, illness in general with mental health. And I think that even medication is something that people see as like a weakness or something to be. Let's fucking talk about it. Let's talk about medication. Let's talk about therapy. Let's do it. Let's do it. Are you medicated? I used to be. I'm actually not anymore, but I used to be medicated. I was for a really long time. And I remember just feeling so much guilt to even say that. It was like such a taboo topic. Were you on anti-anxiety or anti-depressant? Both. Yeah, both. I've been on both anti-anxiety and antidepressants and my sister has too. Like my, both of us have kind of had like parallel stories with our mental health journey, but I think medication is so necessary in so many situations. And I think we need to change that stigma and narrative. We need to change the stigma and narrative around being vulnerable and talking about the things that we struggle with in general, because vulnerability really is our biggest strength. It's what brings us together as human beings. It's how we relate to one another. It's how we open doors, like you said, for connection, which is the most important thing. So I think that, you know, 
medication is necessary. And I think that if that's the route and, and if therapy, you know, is your route or both of them, then a hundred percent go that route and do what you have to do. And I think for me, like I said, I did that for a really long time and I've done a lot of therapy now. And I also now have a really great toolbox that I can tap into anytime I'm feeling an anxiety attack come on, or I have like a wave of depression. I have a really great toolbox coupled with therapy. That's really helped me. So, okay. That is a perfect place for us to take a quick break and we'll be right back. So I want to now lean more heavily into depression and anxiety and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I know you just talked about kind of what you have in your toolbox as well as therapy now. So when did you start therapy? I started therapy in 2016 when I started. That's when I had that really bad depression Mm -hmm. that I was navigating. And I started coming to terms with, you know, depression is a part of me. And so that's when the work started. I kind of started going to see someone and I started talking about the things I was navigating. And that was really like the first time I'd ever confronted those feelings and like dealt with them. So it was just a lot of like turmoil, to be honest, like inner turmoil of kind of like running away from that for so long. And that's when it started. And, you know, I feel like I now love therapy. It's the best thing I've ever done. I always say it's the best investment you will ever make in your life. 150%. Because it's something that, you know, I, it just the way that it impacts you and you can just get to a place where you feel like you do have a toolbox and there's other options and answers and you can kind of change behavior patterns and even just undigging and raveling all of the triggers. Like so many of the things that we navigate are rooted to childhood and we don't even everything. realize <laughs> Everything. Yes. Everything. It's so crazy. It's like everyone is just tortured by their childhood. And if you're not, God bless you. But like every part of my personality is based on something like a bump or a bruise I experienced in childhood, you know? It's so true. Are your parents depressed or do they have struggle with mental illness at all? My dad actually, I think he does. I, he's never gone to therapy and he's so incredible. And same with my mom. My mom is like, just such an optimistic person. And then my dad, my dad has like really dark days Mm -hmm. and is kind of like, we always just joke that he's like negative quite a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. But they like balance each other so well, but they, you know, they also grew up in a generation where like therapy was like for people that were like really messed up. So I think that my dad always says if he could go back, he would do it. And I'm like, it's never too late. You should still do it. But I think that, you know, with their generation, they just like masked and, you know, said everything was fine and just got on with it. But they had hard childhoods. And I know a lot of what they struggled with, too. You know, they wanted us to work really hard for the things that we got in life. And we moved from London to Atlanta, Georgia when I was 12. But I think, too, that like, you know, toxic productivity is something I struggle with. And that's how my dad is as well. He struggles to sleep and he's such a hard worker and he grew up on nothing. So I think just his whole life was motivated by creating a better life for his kids. And he handed some of that off to all of us. Well, you inherit trauma. You can inherit trauma. Like even if your parents had rough childhoods, that can be passed down to you just without being conscious of it. Yeah, no, totally. And we all are just like insanely hardworking. We all have, all of us kids have like massive passions and we've pursued all different kind of career 
avenues, but we all have that in common. We all just laugh because we struggle with all the same things. Mm -hmm. Like we all are so productive to the point where we like sacrifice our mental well-being all the time. Wait, how many siblings do you have? There's th- there's four of us total. There's so four of us too. No. Yes. Oh my, gosh. oh my god. My producer also is a child of four, and we literally just like talk about how amazing having three siblings is. It's the best. It's the I, fucking best. Where are you in the order? So I'm second oldest. Okay, so you're like my sister. So I'm the youngest. Okay. Um, it goes boy, girl, boy, girl. So then it's like my oldest brother, my sister, my other brother than me. What are you're you guys? Gonna- it's literally boy, girl, boy, girl, Stop. too. <laughs> no we way. Have, we That's... have like way too much in common. It's really That's weird. But crazy. Yeah. So my older brother lives in LA, too. He's 32. And then it goes me. Then my younger sister, who just moved there, she lives there now as well. I'm sorry. Then it goes, sorry. My older brother, me, my little brother, who lives in London, and then my baby sister, who is probably similar to you. Oh, I bet. Very. Us youngest children are the same. Always, but she's – her and I are so close. Me and my sister are like insanely close. Yes. I know. It's weird. She's my reason to live. I literally love her so, so much and like she's the light of every room and just like – Well, us, the youngest, we get it the easiest and hardest in some ways depending on like what happens in your family. But I always say like I lucked out because I got to learn and adopt personality traits or like – just having siblings to bounce off of and well and i'm just, i don't know if you were this way but my sister like did not want to fuck up because she saw all of us fuck yeah, up yeah but i did <laughs> but yes no i was like a perfect like tried to be at least which is probably why i ended up depressed yeah exactly <laughs> she learned from all of our mistakes so she was just like i've learned all the lessons the hard way from you guys so she was just the one that was trying never to disappoint my parents and stuff such a great kid, but yeah, she's the best. I need to meet your little sister. We need to do a sister date. Yes. It's a nice little community that you have, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like such a safe place with them yeah. and like knowing that you have a similar brain to at least someone else on the planet. It's like nothing has bonded us more, you mm-hmm. know, just from all the things that we go through. I was just talking to my brother before this and he was opening up to me about therapy and things that he's been going through. And it's just like, I don't know, creating that relationship with your siblings or your friends or anyone really where you can create like vulnerable spaces where people feel like they can be themselves like that's the best relationship so I'm lucky and you're lucky to have that with our siblings we are fucking lucky you're right I know and and unlucky in some ways (laughs) (laughs) which is our depression and anxiety but so when you were first dating your now husband how did you fit your mental health into your relationship I didn't to be honest I didn't talk to him about it for the longest time. And I remember like when I had started going to therapy and my therapist was like, you need to like talk to your husband about your depression. And I was like, oh yeah. And he knew he was there, you know, but I think I was still coming to terms with that being a part of me. So, you know, he's just the most amazing support system. He knows like when I'm having down days, he knows he's so cute. Like even if I, I remember I had a panic attack a couple weeks ago and he like lets me go through my process and then I like come to the couch and he's got my weighted blanket. He's like, I'm going to make you some tea. Let me put on some nostalgic TV for you. He just like knows and I'm so grateful. What a guy. Oh my God. Nostalgic TV. I'm like, are you in my brain? I literally feel like I'm talking to myself. I'm like nostalgic TV. That's where I, I watch the same shows over and over and over and over again. It's a coping mechanism. Did Is you it? Know that? Mm-hmm. No. 
I read this thing about depression and how we crave nostalgic comfort. And that's why we watch so much nostalgic TV because it's like a coping mechanism. That's why I watch The Housewives over season All two of OC over and over and over again. Yeah. That's, okay, that's what I'm going to say now when people get mad at me for watching the same shit over and over <laughs> again. I'm like, excuse me, this is a coping mechanism. That's crazy. So I went through two bouts of depression. Mm -hmm. Like I went through two ones where like I could not get out of bed. I was showering once a week. If that, I didn't respond to any text messages. I just went dark. Beyond that, I have had in my day-to-day -day life, I'll have depression days. I'll have mm -hmm. like one yeah. day it'll just hit me and then the next day I'm like, whoa, who was that person? It just comes out of nowhere. And yeah. then more recently, I had my first like mini bout that was lasted like a week long and it just colored everything in my life. I just looked at through such a negative lens. Everything that I did was stupid and bad and every situation that I, you know, talked in was terrible. And I just felt so shitty about myself and about life and so not hopeful. What does mm -hmm. your depression look like? I mean, it's always there. And I think that I've developed such a great toolbox and I definitely don't struggle with it every day. I feel like it comes out of the blue and that's the hardest part about mental health is like, you know, you, you think that you don't have anxiety any, anymore until you have the worst panic attack of all time and you're reminded, fuck, I have this horrible thing. I convince thing. myself all, the, all time. the time I don't have depression and anxiety and then I'm like, oh, well, yep. I, I'm literally like, I'm on the other side. Yes. There's never another side, you yes. know, it's just like, but I mean, you know, I'm really grateful because I do think, you know, through therapy, I've learned, like I said, so many ways for me to be able to navigate it and kind of live the life that I'm able to live now. But I think that, you know, between like journaling, meditation, you know, I, I swear by having a transition in and out of my workday, I have to be able to come into my workday and have a transition in and transition out because I think running a business too, like I'm so tempted to bring every bad thing that happened to me home. And that's really disruptive for my marriage. So, you know, creating more boundaries, not feeling guilty for decisions that are prioritizing my mental health, saying no, like all these things that I've just learned. And again, then just falling back in love with myself, like my full self and, um, my most raw self. So I think that through therapy and all those things, I've kind of learned these ways. So I feel like now it's more so just anytime I do have those days or those stints or those weeks, I just go to that toolbox and I kind of run through any of my mechanisms that I know now have that I can go to. Yeah. I'm curious just on a personal level, like when I have those days, it scares the fucking shit out of me because it really scares me that like this won't be just a one day one, that this will be the, the big one. You know, it's like an earthquake. Yeah. You're just like, okay, like the next one's going to be huge or whatever. Yeah. And so I, I still run sometimes. Like I still, when I have those days, like I still force myself to be productive and it's the worst day ever. And I'm just like not putting out any good work or even working. I'm like, just like on my phone the whole time, but just because I'm in the chair, I've convinced myself that I'm working mm -hmm. and I battle, like I go back and forth all the time. Like, do I cancel all my meetings today because I'm just not me mm -hmm. or, you know, what's worse showing up is not me or not showing up at all. And then I wonder like, Okay, do I just – or do I just give myself the day, like a mental health day and just be like, yeah. okay, I'm going to watch old seasons of this show, you know, but it's hard because then when you're there, your depression comes with and it's like, well, look at you. You're so lazy. Like, what are you doing? You have this company to run, like blah, blah, blah. What do you think about that? It's so true. I mean, I think that 
for me, it's really about getting outside of my head. I have to write or talk or, you know, if I can't do therapy, what a lot of time you can't write on the spot, I have to call, you know, my sister or somebody that I know that I can get outside of my thoughts. And that's the most important thing. And if it's not that it's journaling, it's like getting my feelings outside of my body. Um, But I think it's so true. And for me, you know, what's tough is like, I felt this fear for the longest time that I couldn't be a CEO and have depression. And that is a narrative and pressure that society tells us. And I mean, I'm here today to tell you that that's not yes, true at all. Yes, you are. God damn it. Yes. <laughs> you, you know, you can be a CEO and still have depression and you can struggle with mental health and still be the person that you want to be. You just have to get over that fear um, of that being a weakness and start seeing your vulnerability as your biggest strength. It is. I'm saying this today as I'm not under the bus of depression or anxiety. I maybe will be tonight, but like it is my greatest <laughs> superpower and just gives me an empathy that I think other people don't have and a gratitude for those days where the lights are on, you know, and like for those days where you can get out of bed and it's easy or you wake up in a good mood, God bless. Like those days are just like you hold on to them so much more tightly, Mm -hmm. you know? You feel the highs. You feel the highs more high because you feel the lows low. Yes. And, you know, I'm always grateful because I always say every day only has 24 hours and even if a bad day, another bad day is around the corner, like there's always good days ahead. And so, you know, give yourself grace, feel the feelings that you're feeling, let yourself feel them, don't run from them, Um, go to your toolbox. But yeah, I mean, for when it comes to just like fear and letting that limit you in your life, like don't let those things have power over you. Don't let anybody else write your story. You know, you can kind of define what your life is. So write your own story. So what are the signs when you know that your depression is setting in or your anxiety? I start getting really bad panic and just an overwhelmed feeling. I start having just way more of a pessimistic mentality. Mm-hmm. I feel like the world is gray and dark and yeah. everything's bad. And then I feel like the thoughts just start cycling. Um, and it's, it's just really hard. Like once you start down that cycle of thought, it's really hard to like bring yourself back or like get to the fork and road and like go the other way, which is like what therapy, a lot of therapy is about is like how to rewire your thought patterns. Um, but yeah, it just, I can tell, you know, I can tell if I, have a couple bad things happen to me or a couple triggers, it's, it starts happening. And then I just have to get to that place where I'm like, all right, I'm going to rewire this and try my best to, you know, and then sometimes I'm too far down the road and I just, I'm like, I'm going to let myself feel this. I'm just going to be sad for a couple days and, you know, just let my, my body and my feelings process themselves and go to like, you know, through kind of like the mechanisms that I can. But that's kind of how it starts. And then you know how it is. The cycle of the cycle of thought takes Boy, over. Boy, do I know how it is. <laughs> but as a CEO of a company and someone that has employees and, you know, like the company doesn't move unless you do, you know, so how do you, you know, allow yourself to be sad? What does that look like? Do you allow yourself to be sad while still managing to do all of your responsibilities? Or is it you yeah. allow yourself to be sad and you turn off the world? What do you do? So I think for Mayfair and and in general, I've always wanted to create a culture that's a different type of work culture. Something that we have as a company is we have paid mental health days. And wow. for me, it's really, really, really important to instill that in our culture. And 
to let people know that like vulnerability is okay. And if you're struggling, you can come to the CEO and the COO, who's this amazing person, Devin Fidel, who's our COO. You can come to us if you're struggling and you know, we will hear you out. Like I think I've never wanted to create a toxic work environment because I've worked in them and they're horrible. And especially for people that are navigating mental health challenges. So for me, it's all about creating a culture where people feel like, you know, if they are having a day where they just need a day, they can have it. And Mm. that starts from the top, you know? Mm -hmm. So you have to model that, right? Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, I am, I'm a workaholic. Like I, you know, go to work every single day. I, work. I've started to create boundaries in my life, but for the longest time I would work till eight or nine o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. And again, not modeling the best behavior because that's not the way that you should be. But I think, you know, for me, it's always just been about creating a culture where people can really listen to their feelings and take time if they need to, or, you know, if they're just not having a day where they're feeling inspired or creative, like that's okay. You know, we all navigate these things. So I think for us, when we're producing content, that's about being vulnerable and being ourselves and all these things we navigate, like you have to create a culture where people feel inspired to do so. You have to so, walk the walk. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm like, screw podcasting. Are you hiring? No. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds wonderful. I think every company should have paid mental health days. It should be a thing. Yeah. As yeah. you're talking, you know, what's coming up for me is that there is, you know, one side of me that I identify as. I really only showed this side to the world for so long, but like the side of me that is ambitious and a perfectionist and outgoing and, you know, and, and, and whatever. And then what my depression did was show me that there's just this whole other side of me, you know, that Mm -hmm. like needs to watch housewives and be in a dark room after I'm with a big group of people, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that is complex, that is, can, can be melancholy, that like can, feel just down and but like it's it's creative and dark and it's just a whole other side of me but that dichotomy is unsettling because I think as people as humans we want to be one way we want to just Mm -hmm. like know who we are we want to have one identity and I don't know if it's just people with mental illness or whatever but also maybe as women we're so complex and sometimes I'm like I don't know I don't know who's going to show up I don't know if my depressed version of myself or my anxious version is going to show up or I don't know if like my ambitious, go-getter, you know, extrovert side is going to show up. Do you feel that way? I was going to say the most beautiful thing about humans and you is just that you have so many layers. I, it's a hundred percent. We want to categorize everybody as one thing. It's like such a dangerous thing that we do, especially women. They're known for one thing. Like you can't be a multi-dimensional, talented, beautiful, smart, creative, successful woman. Like you have to be beautiful or you can be smart or you can be creative. And anytime with females too, we always compare them to each other. It's like, you're the next blank. You're the next blank. Like it can't just be like, there's enough space for all of us. So it's, it becomes this really dangerous place to be. And I think that's why there was so much fear when I was kind of navigating all of this, because knowing I wanted to be a CEO, I didn't feel like I fit the CEO molds. Like I was like, okay, I'm a hard worker and I'm innovative and I feel like I have this entrepreneur thing, but also like I have this really dark side and I, you know, have days where I feel like I can't get out of bed. And so in society standards, those two things can't coexist, but like they can. And that's the beauty of being human is like, we all have so many layers. So I think just in in general, we have to start 
speaking and embracing the multidimensional humans that we all are. And, and like I said, it starts with like work environments and stuff like that, because I think that that's where we all feel like we have to be this or that. And I just know my younger self never knew that you could be a CEO and have depression because that was not something that was really talked about or shown. Yeah. So I think it's really important for us to like rewire everyone to rewire those narratives and kind of show people that like you can be this and this, you can coexist in those feelings. So yeah, but it's hard and it can be like maddening when you just feel like I am a prisoner in my brain, you know, like just sometimes. And then some days you're like, that's, but that butterfly is pretty. And you're like, what, what?" like, you know, it's, it just changes like that. And, and, and I think that that's, what's beautiful also about your relationship, because it can be hard in a relationship to have, Mm -hmm. you know, this mercurial vibe sometimes, you know, and, but I think, I think our boyfriend and my, your husband and my boyfriend are lucky to be with someone with depression and anxiety. Cause I feel like it's like, hundred percent. we're going to raise kids that the next generation is going to be riddled with anxiety and depression and mental illness. So it's like, the more that we can learn about it and know about it, the better mm-hmm. parents we can hopefully be. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I always, I mean, I just think people that have struggled or have overcome things, I relate to people so much more. And like, if you've gone through a struggle, we're going to get along. Yeah, you know? totally. And that's the thing. I think that in a weird way it does, it, it gives you more empathy. It gives you more understanding and you know, I'm still not a perfect person, wife, CEO, like daughter, all those things. I'm working on myself every single day. And I know there's things that I struggle with so badly and I want to be better at, but I think that, you know, there's hope just in that we really have the ability to change our own life and to change your own story and your narrative. And you can work on yourself. You can become better at those things. We can be great parents, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of hope in that. And I think that when you've gone through things and everybody has navigated some sort of struggle, I really do feel like it gives you empathy because you have the ability to understand such low lows. No, absolutely. Absolutely. How do you deal with social media? So much of your job is on social media and social media just is a trigger for me. It just hits me in my Achilles heel of insecurity and anxiety. How do you cope with that? And like, what do you find so toxic about Instagram? I have the most hate, love, love, hate relationship with social media. Every day I'm just like, I want to go off the grid and like literally never post again because I think for the longest time I just was not being myself and I felt so much shame around that. And then now, you know, I'm, I try to be as authentic as I can. I try to talk about all the vulnerable things that I go through and the things I struggle with, but then I'm also like, okay, but I'm going to post this photo, but then I feel guilt because I'm like, also just, I'm like kind of a private person. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, you know, with Mayfair specifically, it's tough because I know that so many people want, you know, business and life advice. And I definitely want to be able to speak out on the things Mm -hmm. that I've navigated and how I've been able to do it. And, you know, just be able to talk vulnerability for anyone that's like struggling like I was. But then I also am just like, I really like my private life. So I never want to like, say too much or give away too much or be too obsessed with my life being in this altered reality because I'm like, I also just want to work on being more present in the present moment. So I just go back and forth all the time. Like one week I love Instagram and I feel like 
I'm thriving and doing my thing and being vulnerable. And then the next week I'm like, fuck Instagram. I'm literally never posting again. I know. And then there's like that guilt that you feel like when you are feeling good and you post like that picture that you know is going to make another person that's not feeling good feel worse, you know, and you're like, okay, now I'm contributing to this. And like, do I need to write a caption that says like, I cried right after this picture was taken (laughs) or like, how do I represent both sides of me? Like we were talking about earlier, like this dichotomy within me of like this depressed but also like overachieving extroverted side. It's like, does that create an inconsistent social media feed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does. And <laughs> honestly, fuck the feed. Like I'm I'm just at the point where I'm just like, I'm going to post whatever I feel inspired to post. Yeah. And if people resonate with it, that's fine. If not, then like at the time it served a purpose for me. Maybe it was exactly. a creative outlet. Maybe it was something I felt I had to say. But yeah, I mean, I try not to think too much about it and spend too much time on it. I'm really working on just trying to be present in every moment and not worry too much about all those other components. But at the same time, I feel like just embrace it. Embrace your weird six personalities and just (laughs) show them all off. Yes. Give them all an Instagram account for Christ. Literally. Exactly. You know, do you ever feel the pressure to be like a North Star to your followers and the people that love Mayfair? Like, do you ever feel this tremendous pressure to have your mental health figured out? Mm-hmm. All the time. Yeah. I feel like the best thing I've ever done is be authentically me and open up about the things I've struggled with because I've received some of the most incredible messages that, and I will never regret just being honest and vulnerable. It's something I like push myself and our team and our community to do every day. I really feel like our human experience is to be here on earth and relate to one another and like help each other through this crazy journey of life that we're on. But it's also the hardest thing because mental health month was so difficult. Like I got burnt out because I've, and they don't talk about that, you know, Yeah. like the mental health month burnout of somebody that is feeling pressured to talk about it. It's like, I feel like sometimes I'm not creating the boundaries that we're telling everybody to create, talk to create on Mayfair. Like I need to practice what we're preaching. Yes. Yeah. And I'm the first person to admit that. Like I, you know, we, we create all this content and then half the time I'm like, I need to go home and actually do that because, you know, it's, it's just one thing obviously to speak about it. But then I think sometimes like I'm the worst at creating boundaries in my life and So I just think I'm getting to the place now where I'm trying my best to create more boundaries. And when I'm present on social media, I'm my most authentic, vulnerable self. Um, But then, you know, I also have a life away from that. And I want to preserve that and really be present. So, you know, I'm doing better. Yeah. But I think it's always a really fine line for me. No, I I get it. Like everything that you're saying resonates with me beyond. Because it's also like when you're feeling depressed – it's not a fun feeling in any way. You know what I mean? It is like such a dark, icky feeling. And I think the last thing that you want to do sometimes is connect with other people. Like when you're feeling like that, cause you're just like, oh my God, I am like this, a shell of the woman that I usually am. Then I have to look at my page and I have to see if I post one time being like, oh, I was so depressed that day or like this, like a picture, then I'm like constantly reminded of it. And it's like, and for me, I think there's probably a part of me that still runs, you know, that's mm-hmm. still afraid of it. A hundred percent. And what's tough too is like, there's this weird thing that people think that you want sympathy or something. Totally. You know? Totally. And we have that internal fear of like, like every time I'm crying, I'm like, 
should I post that I'm crying just <laughs> yes. so people know I'm a normal human? But then I don't want anyone yeah, to feel want... bad for me. Yes, yes. I'm not, I'm literally not trying yes. to make anyone feel bad for me. I just want them to know that like I'm bawling my eyes out. Yes, but like miserable don't right DM now. me back. Yeah. You know, it's just like, it's just such a weird, you know, thing that we all have to navigate. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, I feel like in the moment, if I feel inspired to post about it and I feel like I can speak from the heart and somebody might relate to, but also I don't feel pressure because sometimes I'm just sad and last, most of the time I'm sad. And the last thing I want to do is get out my phone. So, you know, it's, it's like, I try to, like I said, just give myself time to process what I'm, I am feeling those days. And if I ever feel inspired to talk about it, I will. But I'm not just like, all right, every time I cry, I need to post about it, you know? (laughs) Yes, yes. Oh, my God. Now I'm just going to DM you every time you (laughs) post a crying thing. I'm just going to send you a photo of me crying and like, you'll know and yes. we'll just, we'll give each other that like unspoken sympathy, but 100%. like, that's no, all we need. That's yeah. who we will be to each other. That's, that's I our feel role. You. No, yeah. that's going to happen. Okay. That is a perfect place for us to take a quick break and we'll be right back. So like we talked about your toolbox. What is in that magical toolbox? What are some of the things that you practice when you're feeling like shit? Basically. Journaling and meditation have like changed my life. Every self-help book says that to the point where I'm like, Jade, if you're not doing that, then you're not trying, you know? That's like- it. That's it. And I think the thing, it, it's consistency. And we have to give ourselves grave because I'm the first person that will like fall so far off the bandwagon of like consistency. But yes, I really try to get myself in a routine. And when I am in a routine, I'm feeling so much better than when I'm surrounded by chaos and nothing is in routine. And I just know things that are triggers for me. So I have to kind of stick to my routine. And it's, you know, a little bit of exercise, even if it's like something small, I try to do that every day. I've changed a lot of my diet and that's really helped um, me as well. And journaling and meditation have been key, consistent therapy. Like, again, I know it's like not an option, but just being able to get your thoughts outside of yourself, whether you're speaking to somebody else, whether it's a therapist, whether it's a journal. Um, and then, like I said, really having um, a transition in and out of my workday. And then the last thing that has been life-changing for me is having a creative outlet outside of work. Because for me, my creative outlet was always Mayfair and then Mayfair became work. And when you're a creative person and your creative outlet starts to be tied to a deadline, it's no longer a creative outlet. And you start to feel like, you know, you're, you're perform, like you're basically creating to perform. It's like this thing that's tied to a deadline. It's always tied to an agenda and a motive. And what was so beautiful and magical about it being an outlet just completely goes away. So I forced myself every weekend to write, to paint, to make literally craft rings, to sidewalk chalk, to go and paint pottery. I do one creative thing every single weekend. And I that wish is you my- lived in LA. So then we I could know. do it together. We could go paint pottery together. Yeah. It's like my I know. I'm like always hitting up my friends. I'm 30. I'm like, do you guys want to go paint pottery? And they're like, no, I need a friend like that. I need to go make pottery because I'm like, you're a more disciplined, depressed person, but maybe it'll come with age. Like maybe in the next three years that I have before you will, it'll happen. You will get there. You'll get there. I promise. I was, I was the worst. I like never stuck to anything and I would find myself slipping back. And then I just said, okay, you know what? I got to create some sort of routine because I know if I do this, this, and this, I'll feel better. 
And so for me, you know, it's worth it to do it and stick to it. So, you know, and I have days and weeks like where I'm not great, but I also try to just get back into it. And and that's why honestly traveling is really hard for me because I'm not in my normal routine. Right. So it like throws me off a little bit. You know, I still have to find ways to like be able to do, you know, my, my little things that kind of keep me in check, you know, and I do a lot of reading too. And I do a lot of writing and like I said, journaling and reflecting and stuff. And all of that stuff has really, really helped me. And then just having really vulnerable conversations. My sister and I call each other every day and we talk about our feelings. We like, mine's a therapist. So yeah, intense. I literally just talked to her about how she's feeling and we kind of like work through it together and stuff. So I think, you know, whatever toolbox works for you, works for you. And those are some of the things that work for me. And again, just learning to say no and creating boundaries that in itself has been night and day for me. And just being present, like when I come home with my husband, like actually being present instead of letting everything feel like literally like come bulldoze my, my nightlife, my marriage, all of that from work. So just creating those boundaries has really helped. Yeah. I'm in that phase right now where like I'm working on it a lot in therapy, reparenting myself. Just honestly, it's, it, it makes me sound like a crazy person, like in my own head, but it's really just having a dialogue in my brain that says like, even if it's an email that I want to wait to respond to, cause I just, it gives me anxiety. I have to say like, Jade, you will feel like shit when you wake up tomorrow morning and you didn't respond to that email. I have to protect myself from my anxiety and depression yeah. by like doing esteemable acts. You know, like my yeah. therapist always says, self-esteem is comes from doing esteemable acts. So much of my depression and anxiety is managed by discipline and like just forcing myself to do the thing or like parenting myself and even saying, okay, if I need this one day, that's totally fine. But then tomorrow we're going to try again. You know, like just like just in self-soothing in that way has been like yeah. really big for me. I read one time that confidence comes from the promises that you keep to yourself. Exactly. That's like self-esteem esteemable acts. It's, yeah. it's exactly that what you're saying. And it's so true because like when I'm not keeping those promises to myself, even the little promises, I find myself being so triggered, so insecure, so defensive. And I when I can like reel it in and realize it's like, it's just been a bunch of broken promises that I've not kept essentially to myself. So those little commitments, even if it's just like journaling or like taking, yeah, taking your dog for a walk or like, you don't realize like you think keeping promises to yourself is like getting that thing done by the deadline, but it's actually like brushing your teeth. You know, it can be, it can be like very small things because there was a point in my life where I couldn't get up and shower. So now I have to do that is like, I should take a moment and be like, great job. I don't need anyone else to congratulate me, but like I need to for myself, you know? A hundred percent. We have this story on Mayfair called what accomplishments can look like. It's a grid post that we do. Oh, that's genius. A little be daily things like getting out of bed, you know, make it like brushing your teeth or going to therapy, all of these things. It's like what real accomplishments look like. So it's so true. You have to give yourself credit for all the small things. I never want this conversation to end, just so you know, but I, I have to wrap it up for the sake of time. Yes. I'm like, I'm so sad. But what is the most off-brand thing about you? I have such a love-hate relationship with social media. Yes. I think people just think with Mayfair, you know, when they talk to me, they're like, you must love social. and Because you have it all figured out. You know? Right. And I'm like, it's far from the truth. <laughs> like... <laughs> Every day I'm like working on myself, I'm struggling and all of us are like that. You know, everybody at Mayfair, it's like we all are navigating different things. Like I said, everybody is, but I just think that 
it's hard when you do have a company that's based around social media because sometimes it doesn't feel like there's an escape. So I think for me too, that's why like I don't really push my personal platform and I feel just kind of weird about it because I do really like the ability to have a private life as Some well. Space between you and space. the beast. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's my thing is just that I have a really serious love-hate relationship with social. Okay, that's it. Where can everyone find you? What's your website or Instagram handle? What have you got going on? Okay, everyone should follow Mayfair because that's really where all the good shit is. But the handle is at the Mayfair group. We post the social team, our graphics team, our content team. They're all unbelievable. They're the most amazing people ever. I'm so inspired by them every day. But we do a ton of different campaigns and content. So definitely follow at the Mayfair group. And our website is themayfairgroupllc.com, and there's all sorts of amazing things on there. Yes, we will post that in the show notes as well, but thank you so much. This is the beginning of many, many more conversations, but off the record. I cannot wait. (laughs) I'm so, so excited. You'd think that because I talk about depression and anxiety so much and pretty openly that I'd have met many people that struggled like I did, but... I really don't, you know, I, I, I mean, I look for the stories anywhere I can, but the conversation that I had with Sam was one that left me just feeling like normal, you know, just like the, the feelings that I had, I wasn't alone in them. And I think that's why Sam is so successful because her company is really so authentic and the integrity of her mission is really remarkable and impressive. So I hope you loved our conversation, our little heart to heart, and I hope it made you feel less alone. Join us next week. We'll be back here, same time, same place. And please, 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 it wouldn't be an episode if I didn't beg you to please rate, subscribe, and review my podcast because it would really help us grow. Okay, that's it for me. Have the best day, and I'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.